0: sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Dr. James Richardson. James is an expert in exponential growth in the consumer sector and author of Ramping Your Brand. At his company, Premium Growth Solutions, he works with fast-growing emerging brands such as Once Upon a Farm, Dr. Squatch Soap, June Shine Hard Kombucha, and Proven Skin Care. Thanks so much for joining me today, James.
1: Thanks for having me, Diane.
0: Absolutely. So, Uh, We're going to spend some time talking about exponential growth. And I would love it if you would explain to the listeners what exponential growth is, please. Sure.
1: So basically, it's growth where the rate of growth annually keeps changing. (laughs) So um, it's not fixed. Uh, Visually, you may recognize it uh, in a curve that you might see at a skateboard park. And that's a curve that's called Ooh. a quarter pipe ramp, okay. um, where it starts off really shallow and then suddenly gets really steep, right? When it hits the wall of the, the, the bowl. And that's for skateboarders, that's either a vert wall or, or a quarter pipe ramp. Very difficult to go up those. <laughs> it's, very diff- it's, it's, very, it's very easy to get going. <laughs> Most people fall on their butt. Um, uh, Because you have to learn how to balance when you start heading nearly vertically. Now, most people are not skateboarders listening to this. So you <laughs> understand, ep- sorry, I had to, you, you understand exponential growth when you started investing in the stock market. Ah. Because hopefully someone sat you down or you went on the Google net uh, and learned about the fact that there's something called a compound. Interest rate, right? So basically, every month you're in the market, um, say you, have a, you have a principal balance and there's an interest rate that's accruing on an annualized uh-huh. basis or a monthly basis, however you want to calculate. It's actually a daily basis. And as long as that's positive, you keep making more and more money and your balance actually grows. Um, and if that interest rate changes, Uh, you can suddenly, like many of us saw in the last 12 months, suddenly wake up one day and log in and you've made a gobsmack amount of money doing nothing. Yeah. So that's passive income via exponential growth when the return on your investment capital is accelerating very quickly. So I work with folks who are in consumer packaged goods and they're Exponential growth is very hard to get, but it keeps happening. And so I wrote a book about it because I wanted to figure out how to how to make this, how to, how to share a mental model for pursuing this more rationally than just sort of praying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which um, is not a strategy.
1: <laughs> no, not really. But the um, the final thing I'd say about ex- exponential growth definitionally, and it's probably the most important, is that when you... Run a business according to an exponential growth strategy, and yes, you can sort of plot this out. The scale of your business is going to stay really small in the first several years, and so it will appear to others that you're failing. <laughs> yeah. um, it's sort of like the people, the skateboarder who's on the lower part of that quarter pipe ramp. You know, that's not that challenging.
0: Yeah.
1: If you if you can roll on a skateboard, you can make it up that because the incline's low what happens is this the all the money gets created the back half of the curve and it gets created amazingly fast so fast that people go from oh it's so sad i know yes business to oh my god how do i get a piece (laughs)
0: literally
1: in year in a matter of like a year or two it'll happen that fast wow uh and so it's a great strategy if you're you're like my clients, you're David versus the Friedelite Goliath, right? Who just mocks you uh, every day when they wake up.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they mean you or not, but they're doing it. Right. Yeah,
1: I mean, they're. What else can they do? So, yeah. <laughs> so it's a great strategy if you are doing something relatively innovative. That right now, most people would look at and go, yeah, I don't, I don't want to drink kombucha. It tastes like uh, someone liquefied sour patch. Yeah. Like, I don't want to drink that. Right. So, <laughs> it's not interesting. Yeah. Um, but tomorrow, or maybe in a few years, it might be something that's now really, really cool. And so if you can be the, one of the leaders in doing something like that in the market, using exponential growth, what happens is that you, you bring the thing to the mass market and you can own it. And that's sort of what kind bar did about 10 years ago.
0: Okay. All right. So explain that if you would, what, what did they do or how did they do it? You know? So they
1: picked a very simple idea, which is why can't we have a protein bar that doesn't look like it came out of a chemical factory? Yeah. Like when I open it up, instead of this pressed slab of whatever, I can actually see things that might be in my kitchen, like an almond, (laughs) a raisin, God forbid. (laughs) And if I flip it over, oh, that looks like a chocolate bar. This all makes sense to me. (laughs) I know what I'm eating. Yes. And it was a very simple, conceptually like, duh. Um, But no one in the US, Diane, could make a Kind Bar in 2004 when he started there wasn't a single manufacturing facility that could do it. Really? Nope. So he had to figure that out. Uh, and it wasn't easy. And there were problems. Uh, and several years in, they started to get traction at Whole Foods and other elite retailers. They were selling for like today, what would be $350 a bar. So <laughs> it's just not, it was not for the Walmart crowd. But, right. you know, they had to figure out how to manufacture and commercialize this thing that no one could make. And so they had to go do it. And this created a barrier to scaling, right? It created a, what I call a, um, a natural uh, governor on the engine of growth, Mm. like a golf cart,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which is smart when you are trying to build a brand the way that I talk about in my book, wrapping your brand, because in the beginning, you got to make sure that you actually have something that creates what I call um, habitual consuming fans. These are people who they try you, they quickly convert to regular usage, and they can and they actually increase their rate of consumption over time. They start having, you know, goes from like one bar a week to three bars a week to every day. You know? and, and they're going from buying two bars at the grocery store to buying a case. Mm. So that journey of consumption rate is sort of like your compound industry in your in, in your mutual fund. So if you can get that if you can create a brand and a product experience that causes that behavior to happen every person you recruit you add that peer principal balance but they're actually going to go increase their rate of consumption. So now you have the mathematical engine of exponential growth. And all you need all you need is 50, 10 or 15% of the people who have it uh, to turn into those super heavy users. Oh, And what happens in as a small business, if you can get that to happen, even at a higher rate, like 30% in the first couple of years, mm-hmm. you get this explosive amount of sales with zero marketing or almost no marketing expense. And it's literally coming out of the design. And this is what they found. That Kind Bar was that, and they did do, they did do marketing. They did something called field marketing which is a combination of showing up at events and literally handing out samples to something more exotic, which was um, inserting the brand as sort of a lifestyle badge in what was then the rapidly growing yoga studio network in urban America. So they recruited yoga teachers as their brand ambassadors.
0: Ah.
1: And they turned this thing into a super elite wellness brand with very affluent folks who didn't care that it was the equivalent today of three fifty dollars a bar. I mean, it wasn't that much in absolute dollars, but today that's what it would have been. Right. <laughs> so, you know, this was not going to be your average Joe at Kroger buying this thing on a Yeah. Walk. So they found the right people who would value this notion of, Oh yeah, I want food. I, I know what's in it. Yeah. I'm sick and tired of um, always having to have a processed food. Yeah. And it was a small group of people who were going to care the most about that. But, you know, a yoga person, a yoga devotee would be a good guess, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So they were right. And they used field marketing to basically, by handing out relatively low cost samples, they would generate an insane conversion rate. So people would have a, they'd go, you know, people would be in like a 10 K and there'd be a booth and they'd get a kind bar. And then they would literally be like, wow, that's really good. And then yeah. they'd go buy, they'd go buy three the next day. And it just kept happening. And so they refined this playbook, uh, which was very sampling driven and just leaned into it. Uh, and they did it in a target, very targeted way initially because they didn't have a lot of money, but that targeting actually was smart because it makes you think about, well, who can I find that'll become that, case pack right user who's going to convert right. like who's going to become a like a psycho convert <laughs> and once you develop that aptitude uh you can start to create a playbook that and then you take to other cities and it becomes like a military campaign yeah, mark, right. a, a soft gentle military yeah. campaign. <laughs> non-violent aggression right. where yeah. you you basically keep executing the playbook, keep inserting yourself in the same communities. So they got really good at that. And it's very, very cash efficient when you do what I'm just talking about, because you focus on, you focus on growing your, in growing your uh, rate of consumption at the consumer level, not Mm. simply how many people can I get to try it? That's important too. But if you do both, you get, unbelievably fast exponential growth. Um, and what you do is you can contain the scale of it by not, by containing distribution. And what, yeah. it, what it creates is, a, it's sort of like having a, an investment portfolio in which you've got, you know, rather than having a whole bunch of mediocre funds that all do eh, 8% net per year, you've got, you know, three funds and two of them are doing 25% you know that's a better portfolio yes. fewer funds much better chosen right for the world market dynamics now if you're good at mutual fund research you know this isn't hard to figure out it's basically the tech driven funds <laughs> just, those are the guys that are growing crazy um, if you were to somehow have all your money in like packaged food the last 20 years you didn't make a lot of money <laughs> uh-huh. those stocks don't grow but you yeah know, the mutual fund and everything was set up to allow the amateur to get access to that kind of cleverness.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, but what my clients do is they go create and in Kindbar's case, um they started in New York, the tri-state area, and they just built this thing. There's another case that's very similar on uh, Vitamin Water. It's older. They created um, an eight-figure business just in the greater LA area. by driving around town in the early 2000s, in what they called hydrology vans, they were like branded vitamin water hydrology van. And they had like beer taps on the outside and you would, they would literally give you samples. They would hand you cups of fresh, quote unquote, vitamin water right out of this van. And they would just whoop it up with attractive people. You know, they do.
0: Yeah.
1: And they just create a lot of buzz. Um, you know, those can be expensive techniques or relatively inexpensive. I've seen people yeah. bootstrap that kind of stuff. Um, and people overspend, but it actually isn't that expensive. The technique is to get out there and press the flesh,
0: right? Basically. So right. that's
1: one way to do it. Hard during the pandemic, obviously, but it yeah. it, it um you know that will come back in yeah. various forms. So yeah, it, it's it's a form of growth that's very exhausting, though.
0: <laughs>
1: so it, you know, because you have to. I haven't met anybody who can pull it off without, um, that's not really true actually. There's a couple brands I know that just had unbelievable products. And so they created all this word of mouth and they created very, very high, what they call repeat purchase rates. Um, And if you can get, usually a brand that generates like really fanatically higher levels of repeat, like 80% of first time tryers buy it again. Wow. (laughs) That's like super high. Not, it yeah. does happen, right? If you get something that high, you usually have a product that is so good competitively that it's going to generate those psycho heavy users. I'm talking about who, who will start off having like one pack of hummus a week and then three and then four. <laughs> so it's, <just> like, <laughs> um, it's a thing.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. Whether you're a seasoned designer or a total novice, with VisMe, you can create engaging, dynamic, branded content that makes people ask, how did you do that? Visit tinyurl.com slash to explore. If you're a small business owner or salesperson who struggles with getting the sales results you're looking for, grab a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon and wherever books are sold and if you haven't seen all audible.com has to offer you don't know what you're missing sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com/businessgrowth so what is over innovating so over innovating
1: is what happens when we um in my world when you think a bit too hard <laughs> so and in the amateur context, which is most of the people who who create a food or beverage, they're not actually from the big companies, right? They're mm-hmm. they're they're David, in
0: mm-hmm. the biblical
1: frame. Mm-hmm. They often create something that's super geeky because they're the geek, right? So maybe they're a, a nutrition geek, super into alternative nutrition. They probably are a yoga teacher, you know, someone living mm-hmm. in this interesting but otherwise marginal subculture of America and they develop a solution or a food that appeals to them. Um, You know, if you were to go to some of the trade shows that are starting to re reopen, but have been around for 20 years in natural products, for example, there's, there's been products with turmeric for like 20 years at those shows. There's all, there's like at least 10 guys with a turmeric something. Hmm. Um, uh, it is like not new at all, like in the subculture of alternative medicine.
0: Yeah.
1: But no one's been able to scale anything with turmeric as sort of the big symbolic ingredient, even when they put it in the brand name, <laughs> because it sounds weird. No one knows how to pronounce it, for one. Ah. So most of the problem with over innovating is that people get it; they get enamored with weird and obscure things usually ingredients diane and so and then they might add some more right because they're like well i'm an expert i like i'm i'm a naturopath for example say that so i'm i actually know a lot about supplements so if i could create a beverage that could have some ashwagandha and some turmeric and i just pile on the weird after weird after weird, (laughs) and suddenly it's like this inscrutable it's almost like a textbook in alternative medicine it's not anything that anybody can understand right So, over the classic owner of innovation is a geeky product made by a geek for themselves yeah and no one yeah. can figure it out it's sort of like the three awful letters after my name i wrote a 470 page book essentially to get those three letters and there aren't that many people in the u.s who could even understand said book i don't know what use it was i actually just got an email like six months ago from someone in germany who found it online hallelujah that's the first person to ever contact so that's what a dissertation is right it's the same thing like it doesn't mean anything unless you're this tiny group of people who spent years learning a language in which they could make sense of it so over innovating often is geekiness that's culturally meaningless to any kind of sizable group that you need to scale like a business. Like if you want to create a $100 million business with the average unit price of three bucks, three to four bucks where I, in the world that I'm in, you know, that's, I don't know, 25 to 30 million packages a year. So you're going to have to have an audience of at least one to two million people. Right. (laughs) There are not one to two million naturopaths in the United States, happily ready to have some geeky turmeric drink. <laughs> there's <laughs> probably 5,000. <000. laughs> so, you know, which is a lot to your listeners. Like, really? Yeah, there probably are, but that's not a business.
0: Uh-huh. So,
1: so you have to innovate something like Dan Lebetsky did, which is say, hey, there's a very simple problem. Every protein bar on the market in the year 2003, when he sat down to come up with this thing, uh, is an extruded slab of fractionated chemicals. And soy was like the number two ingredient, in most of them, including Cliff Bar. Right? That's all that they were. <laughs> they were chemistry experiments. Um, wow. Some were quote-unquote natural because they didn't have artificial flavors, but other, you know, basically it was all chemistry. Yeah. And that's just how they got made because that's how you could make 100 million bars. Right. <laughs> in a high-speed manufacturing setting. Now he had to figure out how do we actually make a bar with kitchen ingredients in a high-speed manufacturing environment yeah right so now you have a you have a very simple concept that isn't hard to understand it's like literally your dumb uncle Larry could understand this and well, the funny thing uh, with yeah, kind, the funny thing I'm- with kind bar is that it did well with everybody not just the yoga teachers like he, every I mean there really weren't any people who, who hated it <laughs>
0: But that wasn't the but that wasn't the focus, right? I mean th- that it crossed over into other targets. Right, was it had
1: it? Oh, a it had a long term what they call a long term addressable market that was going to be big. Because there was no sensory reason not to enjoy a kind bar. It's basically a candy bar, Diane. I mean, it's got a slab of chocolate on the bottom, and then it's got nuts and fruit. It's the healthiest candy. I
0: don't bar. understand how that's a. Uh, well, whatever, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a healthier choice than just getting a candy bar.
1: So is well, it's much lower sugar, Diane. It's good. Then a candy bar is probably got a 10th of the sugar. So that dark chocolate layer, it feels good in your mouth, but it's actually not putting a lot of sugar in your body. So actually ah. the, the nutritionals were way ahead of their time, actually, when they launched it and he didn't even have that agenda. His agenda was like, it was not like some low sugar play. But that's what it ended up becoming. And it's oh. one of the reasons that it took off. So there was a much larger group, there was this group of what I would call somewhat sanctimonious yoga practitioners in urban America who were like wanted to tell their girlfriends that they paid $350 for this cool little bar that looks so cute in a beautiful little clear package. Sort of like a Voss water bottle. It was just sexy to have around, right? That was the initial group. But what actually took drove this thing was once it got into distribution, more ordinary people flipped it over and realized there was no sugar in it relative to even a cliff bar and certainly relative to other bars. And it started to gain an audience of folks who wanted to have um, low sugar snacks, but they didn't want to have them full of bad chemicals. And and that audience is what grew over the life of that business really fast. And that ended up being the really big audience. That's the tens of that, you know, 20, 30, 40 million people are, are at play there you know, that's a large audience to build a, a substantial business. I mean, now you'll find kind bar dollar store. So it's like literally yeah, become, right. it is, it's literally become a candy bar alternative.
0: Um, okay. But, but is that part of how exponential growth happens that, that through innovation, more people, if it turns out that, that there's a bigger audience for it, a product
1: what what's going on is usually there is something you could call it the dna of the original product and it's usually the sensory experience to some degree and it could be some of the nutritionals which speaks to multiple audiences one of them one of those audiences preferably is someone who's we might you know crudely call a trend setting group like the yoga people I was talking about
0: mm-hmm. and it's true
1: now, they're more trendsetters for Lululemon than food, but I mean they have done it in food and beverages. So. Um, but if you can have that, what I would call elite appeal, to some kind of high-minded group that thinks that your brand is now a discern is like a new and discerning choice, a modern choice. But you also the same thing actually has the ability to resonate with a much broader audience later. That's actually kind of the secret sauce for design and I, that's mm. what I help my clients with because sometimes they start off with a geeky thing and it just needs a few tweaks Yeah, and it will be set up to explode later. I see. But my clients, as small companies, you don't have the ability, even if you had something, like even if Dan Lebetsky had been handed some brilliant analysis and said, do you realize this is like an unbelievable weight management thing? It's like a 140 calorie bar with very little sugar. I mean, you should be selling this on Weight Watchers. Right. I mean, he could have yeah. tried that if someone had if it had occurred to him. Sure. But it, it wouldn't have worked because he didn't have the economics in the business to sell it for a buck fifty or a dollar. Oh. <laughs> so part of my book is about how do you one reason you want exponential growth is you don't act, you don't want to scale too fast because the only way to do that is slash your price and you will go out of business financially as a small business person. <laughs> so you will go like out of business fast. So yeah. part of what my book is about is that this is a great strategy when you need to keep your price really high at the beginning to survive as a small business. And in my world, people are losing money in the first three or four years. Wow, really? Like to the tune of at least 5 to 10%. It's painful, right? So That's they're just trying cool. to get to break even right. in the first couple of years. And hopefully with a design... In a marketing strategy or something that will unleash that exponential growth but they've got to get over that i call it the death funnel where it's literally just sucking wind sputtering right. <laughs> and it's something that the big companies don't have to deal with because they when they do a launch they just allocate 50 million to it <laughs> <So> <laughs> it
0: just,
1: it just whoop, it goes in the budget it's so easy <laughs> well it's not politically easy but whatever for them, cash is not the problem yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> So I wrote the book because it's actually the smartest. It wasn't just the, the, the journey of undercapitalized folks like Dan Lebetsky at Bar, who, you know, he was not poor, but he also didn't have a, he didn't start it with 10 million. I mean, he just didn't. You know, he, he got capital later from investors. But yeah. you know, as with most people, you got to prove that there's a there there. And the way you do yes. it is you create, you create a cash flow efficient, fast turning, fast growing exponentially growing business. And then suddenly people are like, yeah, I want in. And then the investor cash helps um, fund the growth, but also helps you fund the price. What I call price relaxation allows you to relax that price. And and the weird thing about my industry it's, and it's fascinating to me because I'm an anthropologist. So I was trained in the study of symbols and meaning. Right. And, And that's a lot of what I do, right. Like, How do we find symbols that will attract cool people yeah, but also be ones that can go mainstream later, with a bigger audience. That's not so easy. But I would think. But the reality is, price is so powerful, like sociologically. Yeah. Um. Very small changes in price in some categories in the grocery store have enormous effects on sell-through. Uh, huh. Especially if your brand has built some awareness. What ha- so? For example, there are people who. They knew they'd seen Kind Bar and they'd had it, but they were, they were like, oh, I, don't, I can't afford that. Right. I, can't, I can't keep having them." And so they literally waited, Diane. <laughs> so no, seriously. And they'd, it, it, it would have been like years of in-store advertising. They'd seen it. They're like, "God, oh, that looks really good, but I'm not going to pay $3. And that's usually that larger group. And eventually when you can get down to like $250, 225 suddenly they're in.
0: Huh.
1: And so that's part of the strategy too for exponential growth is pacing that pricing so that you're you're high enough to attract the most gonzo motivated who usually become heavy users really fast. And then you can finance your price relaxation so that you can get to that next audience who's not as motivated, but they will for if you just slash the price, like 30% they're in. And then there's another group the walmart crowd you know if you cut it in half they're in
0: <laughs> so but you have so, to be able to produce it for far less uh, yeah but you can't just point. start you can't
1: yeah you just you can't when you're a new brand and no one knows you you can't just show up at like kroger and slash your price right it, people don't oh. even know you're there so it doesn't have yeah. the fact <laughs> right. so it's this weird there's all these variables you have to manage huh. but if you do it intelligently um using principles in my book you can definitely create a winner.
0: Interesting. And what is the power of focus when it comes to entrepreneurs?
1: So, I mean, this may be a more, not all of your listeners want to create exponential growth, I would imagine, because it, it's per, it can be perfectly happy as a business person growing geometrically. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. The power of focus, I think, is more broad relevant message for folks and that is once you have found an offering whether it's a service or product that is generating profitable cash flow either growing or or you know steady um, you need to stay focused uh, on the thing that you know is actually working so if you can use what they call objective key performance indicators as a small business person, uh, and my industry has its own and, you know, other industries have their own specific ones. What I often see people do as entrepreneurs that they, because a lot of them are kind of attention challenged Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) is that
1: if they don't see the growth quick enough in, in, um, otherwise profitable business in which they're not doing a couple other things, right. Like marketing, they'll just launch another service or a product.
0: Yeah. So they'll they'll use
1: innovation to make up for the fact that they didn't actually optimize this otherwise really profitable thing that was working. So you've got to, at some point, look at the KPIs and say, all right, I got to focus on this thing because it's profitable, it has potential. I've seen evidence that it has potential to grow. And now I've got to work on all the other elements of business strategy. So in my world, we call them the four P's. Uh, strategic planning, a uh, price, product, promotion, and placement is very complicated in my world because of retail. Uh, the reality is that if you don't just pick one category, like yogurt, and ruthlessly focus on a limited set of products in, in your brand, in yogurt, you I guarantee you that as an organization, you will not be able to, as a small company, Focus on those other Ps that are necessary to create exponential growth. Right. So, if you go back to Kind Bar, Kind Bar didn't sit there at the beginning and say, "Oh wow, we made two million in bars. Okay, let's do shakes, let's do pies, let's do you know." They didn't just go crazy. (laughs) They could have done that. They could have easily done that. They probably had people telling them to do that, based on what I know about the industry. But they literally stuck to bars for the first like fifty to seventy-five million which is six, seven years. And that wow. allowed, by, 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 knowing, by holding the product as a fixed constant, they were able to spend their creative energy optimizing things like the field marketing. How do we get this to the right people? How do we sample right? This all takes time and energy. If you're actually spending all your time launching new things, you'll never optimize anything you launched. Mm, right. And then you will have a self-fulfilling prophecy in which optimization seems like silly, That seems like, that seems stupid, but what generally in my industry, the more products you launch, the slower you grow. <laughs> it, we, I've actually done data science and randomized sets, cash register data, and proven that you will decelerate the more products you launch.
0: Well, because it sort of makes sense to me when yeah. you say it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and I, I got to say it's tempting, though. I mean, I'm in professional services, and that's super tempting to create like a Like a vomit web, like a vomit website with seventeen ways to buy from me. (laughs) But the problem is, when the person goes to the website, they don't know what you do.
0: Yeah,
1: it's like I don't. So, like, if you go to mine, I, I and I did that. I made that mistake, and then right before my book came out, I redrafted the website, and then basically, it's I do one thing. I help people plan for exponential growth. Now that happens to be, that's very exciting. So you know, even yeah. though it's narrow, it's very, I don't meet a lot so of people pick who are the like, right
0: one the first time out, right. Good I, for you. I, well,
1: I had to figure it out, but I, you gotta be narrow, but you gotta find something that's really enticing.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, yes, yeah, it's has gotta be a market for it.
1: Right. So it's more aspirational in my case, because not everyone's going to achieve it. Yeah. Uh, most of my clients do, but, Um, but they're getting a lot of extra help um, that the average team's not going to have. So yeah, focus is so important, especially in an operationally complex business. If anybody listening is in one and anybody who makes a widget is, (laughs) if any of you are in manufacturing, you know what I'm talking about. Even a restaurant is the same thing. Restaurants are amazingly complex operationally. Just the human capital side makes my head hurt.
0: No doubt. <laughs> so, you are not alone. Right. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I Every time I go through Dairy Queen, I'm like, this is the right model. Yeah. All they sell is one thing. Comes out of one machine. Right. You order on one side, you drive around, you pick up. At least yeah. that's how they do it in Arizona because they don't sell food.
0: <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> literally
1: See? just blizzards all day long. <laughs> nice.
0: How hard can that be? <laughs>
1: yeah, but it. That's how you run a focused, profitable business. It's very easy to scale that.
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: The problem is a lot of entrepreneurs are creative types. And so yep. to them, it gets boring. And that's right. why you have to make a decision. It's like, Do you want to grow and you want to be more capitalistic and growth oriented? Or do you want to be more creative? Yeah. So be honest yeah. with yourself.
0: <laughs> and there is no wrong answer.
1: No, not really. But growth usually requires you to turn off a lot of creativity. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is true. What I always say is you can do anything you want to do. You just can't do it all at the same time. Yep. So that's why parking lots were invented. <laughs> well, well, James, this has been so great. I really, I appreciate the information and the examples, you know, using kind bars as an example was so helpful to, to wrap my head around this. Thank you so much for joining me here. Will oh, you... Yeah. Um, will you share with the listeners, you know, how they can get your book, how they can find you all that great stuff.
1: Yeah. You can uh, go to rampingyourbrand.com, which is my book site. Um, and actually if you go to the show notes and click the link there, there's a special landing page for listeners. Yeah. And the day the show launches, it'll be discounted to nine 99 on Amazon. Oh, great. So I'd love for folks to, even if it's not for you, but a friend, um, Mm -hmm. Love folks to get a copy. You can also download a free excerpt there too.
0: Nice. Well, that's excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I think this was really valuable for the listeners, especially in these days when we need to be innovative, but we also need to understand what works and what doesn't work. Right. Right where our energy is best spent.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks, Diane.
0: Thank you. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Do you love news about LinkedIn,
1: Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out.